you've probably heard of the Minuteman, even if you're not particularly interested in the military aspects of the Cold War. Today we're going to look at what made this missile so special, why it had the Russians rattled, and why, arguably, it makes us all less safe. The Minuteman is, and yes, he is still with us, still scattered across America in hardened silos, an intercontinental ballistic missile. But what made him so impressive and innovative was his fuel. Normally we judge a missile by the warhead it's carrying, that's where the terror is of course. But in this case the Minuteman's strength was his fuel. He was powered by solid fuel. And that meant he could be ready to launch in just a few short minutes. You could pack him with his solid fuel and then off you go. Forget about it, he's ready to go. The missile was named after the local militias in the American Revolution who could be called upon to fight at a minute's notice. Same here with your Minuteman missile. Having already been loaded with his solid fuel, he could be ready to go in a few short minutes. The alternative was missiles powered by liquid fuel. And loading your missiles with liquid fuel took hours. And that's not much use if you get a sudden warning of an incoming attack, a bolt from the blue. Not only that, but liquid fueling was done with the missile exposed on the launch pad. Sitting there on the launch pad for hours and hours whilst those missiles come roaring towards you. No, that's not any solution. So now, the Americans had mastered solid fuel for their long-range missiles. As Eric Schlosser puts it in Command and Control, the solid fuel was designed to burn along the missile's length like a gigantic cigar. Another benefit to using solid fuel was that it was simply less volatile than liquid fuel. Again, we turn to Eric Schlosser's Command and Control, where he outlines the various accidents prompted by tricky liquid fuel in nuclear missiles. So solid fuel was more reliable, easier to handle, safer, and best of all, it hugely reduced your launch times. The Minuteman first appeared in 1962, and of course immediately you're on your guard, 1962? Wasn't that quite a year for nuclear tension? Of course, it was the year of the Cuban Missile Crisis. But let's skip back a few years. In the late 50s, we see a lot of American politicians talking nervously 
of a missile gap. There were fears the Soviets were racing ahead and producing missiles, and Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev stirred up that trouble by boasting that his country was turning out missiles like sausages. This comment might have sounded like idle boasting, but remember that in October 1957, the Soviets had shocked the world and delivered a particularly nasty surprise to the proud Americans by launching Sputnik, the first satellite to be launched into space. The Americans were forced to reassess the technological ability of their enemy. Were they more powerful, more advanced, more clever than we thought? What else have they up their sleeve? The ability to send this satellite into space suggested a superiority in technology. So perhaps Sputnik was a prelude to some terrible nuclear weapon. Radio enthusiasts all over the world tuned in to hear the eerie beep of the satellite as it passed overhead. The quiet, unending beep, a constant reminder that a piece of the Soviet Union was up there, over you. Okay, so Khrushchev must have absolutely revelled in the launch of Sputnik, but its existence still didn't mean that his factories were producing missiles like sausages. In fact, the missile gap, which many Americans feared, and which was of course heightened by Sputnik, was actually the reverse. The Americans were nicely ahead. But that didn't stop certain politicians, including Kennedy, from exploiting people's fears that they were falling behind the Sputniki Soviets. So let's do more than the Americans thought. Let's spend more, invent more. Let's close this non-existent missile gap. And it was this post-Sputnik surge which eventually produced the Minuteman. Sleek and straight and white and ready to launch at the click of your fingers. Here's a clip from The Day After. Fans of this podcast will know that um, I'm often quite snooty towards The Day After, which is an American film about nuclear war, because it's often seen as a rival to Threads, and I'm a Threads obsessive. But there is an excellent scene in The Day After where Minuteman missiles are seen on the horizon, launching into a sunny blue sky. And that's the moment when you know that things, of course have gone beyond control, there's no turning back. The John Lithgow character knows that. He's surrounded by students at some kind of college football game that's been played, and he knows seeing these things streaking through the sky. And they don't look menacing, they look white and fluffy. <laughs> they leave a white, fluffy trail behind them. They look white, fluffy fireworks, let's say that. But when you see them in the sky, that means... It's nuclear war. They've launched and they cannot be recalled. Here's a clip. What's going on? Those are Miniman missiles. Like a test, sort of. Like a warning? They're on their way to Russia. They take about 30 minutes to reach their target. So do theirs, right? 
And so the Minuteman became active in America in 1962. And did it frighten the Soviets? Just as Sputnik frightened the West? Perhaps. Khrushchev, knowing that he didn't have anything to match the Minuteman, perhaps felt anxious? Perhaps felt... If only we could base our less impressive missiles somewhere near America. If only some commie island lay close to the American coast and would let us unload a load of missiles there. Yes, there certainly was a missile gap for the Soviets and it shrieked and wailed in the cold, cold wind of the Cold War of 62. So we've been praising the Minuteman so far, but there are some people who argue that he is just a heap of trouble. Remember, of course, the Minuteman is still with us, although modernised, of course, through the years. He remains as the only land-based ICBM, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, in America today. So the Minuteman, of course, lives in a silo, a hardened silo, Some people argue that the Minuteman being stuck in position, being fixed and immobile in a silo, means he's a bit of a threat to peace and security. American policy is that if a nuclear attack isn't coming, they must get their Minutemen up, up and away. If you hesitate, then they could be destroyed on the ground by the incoming attack. They'll be wiped out while still in their silos. So the very fact of their existence, their very fixed, static nature, means that you need to shift them quick, or you lose them. Also, because they are stuck there in the ground, the enemy, whoever that might be, will know where they are. You can't keep a massive Minuteman compound secret. People who want to know where they are will know where they are. And so they will be targeted. The enemy will have their missiles fixed on them and they will be flying through the air to destroy them. So if you don't use them, you lose them. And that makes them a threat. We all know we'd like a president to be able to take time to consider his response if he's ever awoken at 3am and told it's happening waves of missiles incoming. He needs time because we know very well from this podcast that there have been false alarms, there have been glitches in the system, sunlight bouncing off clouds, flocks of geese, and dafties inserting their own tape into the computer. So that 3am call could easily be a mistake. But the president in this scenario wouldn't have the luxury of time to make sure it's certain and definite. Because if he waits, then he could lose all his Minutemen. They are stuck there in their silos. They are sitting ducks. Use them or lose them. And that will push a president, arguably, into action. The Minutemen don't want you to stop and think and double-check and be very, very, very sure. Because the Minutemen don't care about you and me. They just want to be out of there. Just in case. This doesn't apply, of course, to your nuclear missiles who are on submarines or your nuclear bombs which are on planes. Because they, of course, can move and evade danger. And, more importantly, 
they can be called back or told to stand down. Having dispatched your bombers and your subs, that's not the end of the affair, but a missile once fired cannot be called back. Come back, Mr Minuteman. It was only a flock of geese. Nah. Once he's gone, he's gone. So the Minutemen are stuck in silos and that makes them itchy and edgy and nervous. Nothing worse than an itchy Minuteman. I refer you here to the recently published book, The Button, by the former US Defence Secretary William J. Perry and Tom Colina. I interviewed those gentlemen on the podcast a couple of months ago about the book, um, so skip back through the archive if you want to find that. But in the book, the authors argue strongly against having land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles, having them constantly on alert, constantly ready to go, constantly on edge. Having them constantly ready is called launch on warning. As the name suggests, it means that you launch simply on the warning of an attack. You don't wait for confirmation. You go, go, go merely on the warning of an attack. And of course, warnings can be wrong. I'll quote here from the button. If US ICBMs are launched and the reported attack turns out to be a false alarm, the United States would just have started a nuclear war by mistake. The weapons cannot be recalled, and it is unlikely that Russian leaders could be convinced not to retaliate on the basis that it was all a big mix-up. In other words, the end of civilization would be at hand. I hope you've enjoyed our quick look at the Minuteman. I don't often wade into the military side. I'm more concerned with what the bomb does rather than what the bomb is. But it's always good to look at the other side every now and then. And before I go, let me thank my two latest patrons, Vicky Hamlin and Andre Russell. I was supposed to give Vicky her shout out last week, but I forgot. So thank you, Vicky, for supporting the podcast. And if you want to donate something each month to Atomic Hobo, please do look at my Patreon page. You can donate as much or as little as you like and you will get various rewards for doing so. My page is at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And remember you can find me on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell or on Facebook where I am called Nuclear Britain. I wish I wasn't. I wish my nuclear page was called Atomic Hobo. That would make far more sense. But Facebook won't let me change it. So thank you everyone. and I'll be back next week with another episode.